The heart monitor is flatlining, and it's as if you're floating away and up. You look down and see the medical staff surrounding your body. Then there's a dark tunnel and a bright light. So what is it with near-death experiences? They've become a bit of a cliche, really, but the question remains, are they genuine experiences, a, a glimpse into the afterlife, or something else entirely? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hi, it's great to have you with us for another week of Signs of the Times Radio. And with me on the line all the way from the opposite side of the planet, about as opposite as you can get without being in the middle of the North Sea, I think, is Rainda Brunsma. How are you, Rainda? I'm, I'm doing fine, thank you. Ex- it's a little early here, but I'm doing fine. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, we, we had to work hard to find a, uh, a time of day that worked uh, for us both to record this when we were both likely to be awake. And for Rainda, that's just barely awake, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I'm an early racer, so I, I'm okay. Now, uh, Rainda, I've heard you described as a church administrator, a, a retired church administrator, which I have to admit sounds pretty dry. But when I hear about the kind of places you've been and the kind of projects you've been involved with over the, the course of the previous decades, it sounds a, a bit more exciting. Can you give us a little bit of a sketch of uh, who is Rainda Brunsma? Well, I guess I'm a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades, you know, have been meddling in a lot of different things and uh, know a little bit about quite a few things. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the one hand, my life has been as a pastor, as a leader of institutions, uh, working in the church organization, Mm -hmm. but I've always also tried to do some academic work, do some teaching here and there, have uh, lectures, etc. And uh, I'm always keen to to write. So over the years, I've written both in Dutch and in English now about some 30 books. And of course, keep writing uh, articles as well. Mm -hmm. So that's how my life is uh, still proceeding. I'm retired now. Well, the only difference I think is that now I don't uh, rise at uh, 6.30 usually, but at 7. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That, that's what retired means. You don't get up at 6.30 anymore, you get up at 7. Okay, I'll try to file that away. So can, can you perhaps remember back, just to give us a, a little word picture, a little glimpse of perhaps that time in your in your career when you thought, goodness me, how did I end up here? What am I doing here? Yes, I have from time to time thought that in 1984, my wife and I, we moved to West Africa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's that phenomenon of culture shock. And so after a couple of weeks there, I thought, what in the world am I doing here? (laughs) But it became the beginning of an exciting experience. And then there have been some changes later on as well. And, um, well, you know, things just seem to happen. I've always been kind of a forward-looking fellow, so I've always looked forward to uh, newer adventures. Okay. 
Wow. Okay. So yeah, West Africa. Yeah, that that is does seem pretty exotic, especially from our perspective here in Australia. It's it's a long way away. That's basically French speaking. A lot a lot of that, isn't it? Uh, we were yeah. There's uh, French speaking countries and English speaking countries, and we worked in Cameroon and in Ivory Coast, which are both French speaking. Okay. Wow. Look, in, incredible adventures. You know, I guess who, who would think, you know, being a, a church administrator would lead you to something, do something like that, to go somewhere like that. But that's, that, that is pretty exciting. But uh, before we go on, Rainda, I'm sorry, but I have to ask on behalf of our audience and all those people out there who, who think, okay, you're from Northern Europe and your name is Rainda. Is that the same as reindeer? With it? I, I know you're, it's, it's reindeer with one R and not with two R's, but it is very close. From an English-speaking point of view, yes. you, you, we've got to wonder, are you named after a, a reindeer or is this just a happy coincidence? Well, it's often pronounced that way, <laughs> reindeer. But no, it, there's actually no connection. And it, um, the Dutch version reindeer is uh, derived from the French reindeer, okay. like the Prince of Monaco. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, okay, like rain, like we say, the king reigns, it's that same, okay, and then we have like words like, uh, names like Reinhold, Reinhold, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. so it's in that sort of family of names. Okay, look, I, I've always wondered, and look, I imagine that question must have given you no end of grief over the years, but <laughs> just on, on behalf of our audience, I thought I've got to ask, they, they must be wondering. Uh, well, one gets used to it, you know. <laughs> Yes, I, I often get Clark Kent. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd rather be Clark Kent or, or a reindeer. No, I, I think I probably ended up on the better side of things there. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned, Rainda, that you like writing. You've written quite a number of books over the years. And I, I have right here a copy of your latest book, I Have a Future, Christ's Resurrection and Mine, which I had a flip through. Oh, you've got your copy too. Excellent. (laughs) I had a flip through and there was a section there that just really, really intrigued me. And it intrigued me so much that I thought, we have to take an extract of this chapter and put it in Science Magazine. And that's what we've done this month, in in the month of November. And it deals with near-death experiences. I want to get into that in, in just a second. But before we do that, can you give us a little bit of an overview of the book the your book i have a future like what what was your motivation here what sort of breadth of topics did did you want to cover well you know i probably look like it but i am 78 now okay and when you come to that stage in life you become the u.s you become the president of the united states of america isn't that what happens when you're about there i I, i've (laughs) thought about that you know that maybe uh i I should not worry too much about that (laughs) that's right and while on the one hand i feel full of life Mm -hmm. at the same time you know around you you see many of your peers and many of your friends they are kind of becoming feeble Mm -hmm. and uh, you attend more funerals than weddings yeah And so, um, you know, the question of what happens after death is not an academic question only. Right. But it becomes a very existential question. Mm -hmm. So that is one element that prompted me to write something and say, now, okay, what do I really believe? I'm a Christian. I have always said there is life after death. What reasons do I have to think that? Mm Mm-hmm. And when I talk as a Christian about uh, the uh, resurrection, how certain can I be that there is going to be something like that? So this book centers a lot on 
what does the Bible say? Because I'm a Christian, and mm-hmm. I'm a pastor, so I work on the basis of the Bible. So what does the Bible say about the state of the dead? Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going straight to heaven like most Christians have believed in the past and many still do? Mm. Or, or, or heaven or is, forbid hell. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> or is there something different after we die? Mm. And do we have to focus on the ultimate resurrection from our death? Well, then, when I read in the Bible, I find that, in particular, somebody called Paul, he says, look, you know, Jesus Christ was resurrected. Mm. And so, you better be sure that that happened, because if you take that away, then really, we have no hope that that it will happen to us. So, there's quite a chunk in the book about, now, can we really trust that biblical statement that Christ did rise from the dead. You know, we know there was somebody called Christ who lived. We mm. have some some proof for that. But uh, then, is there enough, are there enough arguments to go for the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If there is, mm. that gives me uh, confidence that there will be a resurrection ultimately for me as well. Right, okay. And, and yes, and that is a pretty startling claim, isn't it? That a man, you know, rose from the dead after being dead for, you know, like a, a couple of nights, you know, the, well, p- part of three days. And that is the sort of extraordinary claim that does require extraordinary evidence, isn't it? I would say there is no evidence in the sense of hard scientific evidence and you know there's no video of the resurrection of jesus christ yes but the argument that i put in the book is you know there was a group of people that was totally disillusioned Hmm. they no longer believed and then just a couple of weeks later they're going all over the place proclaiming that something has happened well when you read the stories then you must conclude something extraordinary must have happened to give them the power, the energy, the courage to go all over the place and ultimately even give their own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is a, a pretty crucial piece of evidence for sure. And look, I would certainly encourage our listeners to to check out Rainer's book because, uh, as you say in the introduction, uh, Rainer, to to the book, you say yes, you've written this for Christians, you know, people who already believe in the Bible, but you've also written it for people who are perhaps you know spiritual seekers who are inquiring. It's it's not written. In a, and I noticed that going through. It's not written in a super sort of churchy way that only churchy people are, are going to be able to relate to. Was that your intent? Yeah. And I am, um, you know, I, I'm quite frank that I haven't solved all the, all the questions. There are still many questions for me that demand answers. Mm. I have concluded there is enough for me to be able to trust that there is going to be something and that I want that to, to happen to me. Okay, all right. Now, look, I'd love to turn to this particular section in the book that we have turned into an article in in Signs of the Times magazine, and that is looking at near-death experiences. Now, I have to admit, Rainda, before I read your book and I thought about near-death experiences, I kind of thought of it as something maybe on the level of people who say they've been abducted by aliens. You know, this is sort of very fringe phenomenon that perhaps only people who are a little, you know, mentally unhinged may report. But you say in the book 
that obviously there are a lot of people who do end up, you know, on an operating table, for example, their heart stops for a while that, you know, they have a pretty close call with death. And apparently somewhere between, what is it, one out of 20 or up, up to one out of 10, even one out of five, I think you say in the book of people who go through that, ex- that experience actually have some sort of what do we call it? A vision or hallucination or some sort of out of body sort of experience um, that it has become called a near death experience. And you say that this is actually an entire academic discipline. Yes. There are, well, maybe hundreds of scholars around the world that are looking into that, have been looking into that. And there is even an academic association of scholars. Mm-hmm. They meet on a regular basis. Well, I suppose that's true for almost any discipline and subdiscipline, but there certainly is a subdiscipline of near-death experience studies. Okay, and, and, and are these a bunch of sort of paranormal ET sort of researchers, or are these serious academic people? What kind of disciplines oh, are they coming from? The majority are very serious people, and uh, many have concluded that there must be something that is happening. You know, the problem is that when people say they have had a near-death experience, of course, we must conclude they have not been dead, but <laughs> yes. they were close to it. It's a near-death experience, yes. Near-death, yeah. And so some of these scholars would say, well, this is actually what they have glimpsed and is what is beyond death. Mm-hmm. So we can draw some conclusions that there is an afterlife. Yes. While others emphasize the fact, look, they were not dead. So, whatever happened, it was not death. Uh And then, of course, opinions vary. What is it? And that's an interesting question because you actually lay out a number of, apparently there are a lot of similarities between people's experiences when when they go through this. It's not just a a random hallucination. There's some consistency there. Can can you walk us through that? Yes. There is kind of a a pattern in there uh, of different things that, that, that happen. And Usually, what people report is that they hear some buzzing sound or some ringing noise, and then they sense that something has happened to them, and there suddenly is an enormous peace. They feel that they are floating above their own body, Mm -hmm. and often they see the the, the surgeons or the doctors, uh, and they hear that they pronounce them dead, and... uh, very uh, common is then the experience of seeming to go through a dark tunnel and then having a bright light at the end of the tunnel mm. and then often meeting people who are kind of uh, enveloped by light or meeting and meeting heavenly being. Often people describe that being as Jesus Christ or angels, etc. Yes. And so they have a glimpse of a a glorious place beyond, but they never seem to cross into that place. But before they can do so, well, they are called back to this earth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they feel very reluctant to go back because this is what they want, and going back is not really what they would enjoy doing. Yeah, not not, not as pleasant as what that place looks like it's going to be. Okay, so, so there are a lot of commonalities, which might be surprising, you know, to a lot of people looking at it. But there, are, you say that there are also some differences that have been observed between people's experiences. Can you walk us through yes. that? Yes, and, and, and that's very significant. It seems that 
when you go to the non-Christian world, the images of what the people actually see are quite different. Mm -hmm. And they conform more, you know, the Christians, they have a kind of communal idea of what heaven is like, some kind of paradisical state. Yes. And in other world religions, their view of the afterlife is different. And it, it would seem that when these people in the other cultures have near-death experiences, what they see corresponds more to uh, their idea, culturally conditioned idea of what the afterlife is like. Also, from uh, descriptions of near-death experiences, say, in the Middle Ages, yeah, you find that they looked at what, what they saw was kind of conditioned by the way the medieval mind imagined that the afterlife would be like. So there is definitely some kind of influence of the kind of view that we have, the kind of picture that we have while we are alive in our culture, in our part of the world, in our time, with what they are going to see at this this crucial moment. Okay, okay, so so the near-death experience in some ways matches quite well with people's presuppositions or, or perhaps the yeah. the what, yeah. what, whatever belief or, or myth or that they've accepted or even if they haven't accepted it, perhaps they've heard it around them in the surrounding culture, that's sort of what they'll experience. Yeah, uh, and of course the fact that there are so many differences for me is also an indication that maybe we should look in a different direction. Now, some scholars have said that the experience that people have in this particular condition is very much like people would have who are on some drugs. Uh-huh. Um, you know, one professor in the United States by the name of Jack Profonsha, who's a theologian as well as a, a medical doctor, he has done a lot of studies with patients that had near-death experiences. And he has concluded that actually what people go through is very similar to what people go through when they take LSD. Uh-huh. Now, I have no experience with that, so uh, so I have to just trust uh, what, uh, what he says. Mm-hmm. He, he also says he had a patient who had a number of near-death experiences. But once he had been operated on his brain on a slow-growing tumor, they never reoccurred. Uh-huh. So there are indications that you know, our brain is, is a very miraculous and funny thing, that in those moments when our brain is starved of oxygen and other maybe chemi- chemical things happen in our brain, that they produce some of these images that we have cultivated during our life. Hmm. And then I think we have to look at, that's what I do when I, when I, when as a pastor, I think about this, go through the Bible and say, now, you know, would the Bible give me a hint as to whether, what happens after death? Well, well, that's right. I mean, this does seem to be the obvious question. I mean, you've said before, Rainer, that you are a Christian. You've said you're a Christian pastor. And now you appear to be casting aspersions on the uh, the idea that most Christians have, which is you go to heaven when you die. I mean, you know what 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 kind of Christian pastor are you? And and what what do you see the Bible as actually saying about this? Doesn't it say we go to heaven when we die? Well, actually, that that has been the most prominent view. Hmm. But when you look around you and listen to 
different voices today, hmm. you find that more and more Christian theologians are telling you, no, what the popular view is actually more based on some philosophical views that we have imbibed over the centuries, that there is a direct separation between body and soul. And yeah, your body dies, but your soul is eternal and your soul continues to live, goes straight. You know, a grandma is in heaven now. She looks down upon us. Hmm. And, and that is what, what still many, many people believe and hmm. they find great comfort in it. But if you actually go through the Bible, then you see that parts of the Bible are actually quite vague mm. about what happens after death. Mm -hmm. But there are also quite a few statements that say, no, look, when you die, it's kind of like a sleep. Mm. Now, of course, that's a human term because it's, it's, if you compare it to a sleep, it's a unique kind of sleep. Mm. But it's a kind of being unconscious, not being there. Mm. And you get the impression that, well, the Apostle Paul didn't have the image, the metaphor of the computer at his disposal. <laughs> but, you, get, you know, you get the impression that what he says is, look, God has his memory. He has this, this, this mega computer. And who I am is kind of saved on his hard disk. Mm -hmm. And so when the time comes, he is able to call forth, to recreate, as it were, the particular human being that you have been and that I have been. Mm -hmm. So that seems to be, when you take it all together, a much more accurate picture of what the Bible says about death than this going to heaven and to hell. And, well, I think hell is a very problematic phenomenon anyway yeah there's a that, that is a totally a, another topic so so you're not saying that people don't go to heaven I, I i don't think that's i mean it might have sounded like you were saying it there but but i don't think that's what you mean because you're talking about the resurrection too you're you're saying so there is a time death is a time of of unconscious sleep if you want to use you know that expression yeah. Yeah. but there comes a time to wake up at, at yeah. the at the end of that sleep and, and that's what we we call the the resurrection and and those words are very words are actually used mm -hmm. by some Bible writers mm -hmm. that we are woken up. Now, you know, you can ask all kinds of questions about that. So, you know, how does that go? And then what kind of body will we have? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if I, if you are resurrected and I am resurrected, are we going to say, hello, I know you, mm -hmm. I recognize you, you know, and, and I recognize, and I say that in the book, that there are many questions that, I really have no answers to. Hmm. But I do believe that there is a future, that that future is more than worthwhile. And that is our hope. And so our comfort is not that when I die tomorrow, I will be going straight to heaven. But my comfort is, no, no worries, because it's only a short while, and then or a relatively short while. Well, I don't know how short or how long in my experience it will be. Yes. Uh, because, you know, being unconscious. But there is a future. Mm. I, I guess we do know that if you do happen to sleep and, and you don't dream, you often have the sense of, you know, I feel like I just shut my eyes and then I just opened them and, oh, there's morning light coming through. Like, what, 
where did the time go? What, what happened? That didn't feel like, you know, six, seven, eight hours. No. And so I guess, like you say, you know, whether it's short or long, it doesn't really matter, does it, really? That makes the metaphor of sleep appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. Now, you, you mentioned before, sort of tongue-in-cheek, I, I think, about grandma, you know, looking down from us, uh, from heaven. And often this is something that people say, you know, to children in particular, you know, don't worry, you know, about grandma or your auntie or, or your dad or, or whoever. You know, they're, they're looking down from heaven on us. They're, they're still there. And, and that is said, I guess, by adults as a way to, to comfort a child. I mean, w- would you want to take that, that sort of comfort away from the child, or, or is, is there a better way to express it? Well, I think there is a middle way. Mm-hmm. When people ask me, now, tell me, what do you think happens after death? Then I'm going to explain them what I think, you know, happens. Yes. Uh, as best as I can. When I'm at a funeral... And when I preach at a funeral, as I still do relatively often, Mm -hmm. and I know that most people in my audience have that idea that the the one who has died is going directly to heaven, Mm -hmm. then I'm not going to question that at the funeral at all. Mm, It's not the time or the place, is it really? No, no. And I'm happy that they have that, that kind of comfort. Now, if later on they want to talk about it, fine. And, you know, at first, some people feel that you're taking away something from them. Mm. But then when they realize what you're really saying about the biblical hope of the resurrection, that gives at least as much comfort Mm. as the idea that they are going to heaven straight away. Yeah, I, I guess the the point has been made, you know, a number of times that is it really, is it really going to feel like heaven if you're up there looking down upon your relatives still struggling, you know, down below on earth, you know, what sort of heaven is that? You know, you're up there, you're, you're helpless to do anything about it. It doesn't sound very heavenly. I mean, is, is that a fair critique? Yeah, and the whole idea that so-called souls can be separated from, from a body and so that we have immortal souls who live in, ha- in heaven in eternal happiness mm-hmm. somehow. And then there is still going to be a resurrection and these souls are going to be reunited with their bodies. Well, that, that is very problematic, you know, and, and that really is not what uh, I can find in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I guess the whole idea of a separate body and soul, a, a disembodied soul, is in some ways a very sort of anti-physical, anti-matter, anti-body sort of philosophy, isn't it, really? It's, it, I guess it sort of falls into that, uh, that idea that the, the body is dirty, the, you know, the body is something to be gotten rid of. Yeah, and that, that was something that, that, that dates way back from Greek philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, the Greek philosophers, they didn't like the body, and it was the soul. And so if you die... That is not a tragedy, but it's actually a delivery. At last, your soul is free from this terrible body. Mm. And somehow this thing crept into Christian theology. Mm-hmm. And we kept that with us until quite recently. Yeah. But more and more theologians say, no, that isn't really what we read in the Bible. Mm. And of course, we in general in today's society, in today's thinking, we feel and think about men more holistically yeah. as former generations used to do. 
And there we're closer to the Bible than former generations were. Yeah, and that's good, because I guess if you have that mind-soul sort of separation, that sort of dualism, you can end up with all sorts of weird ideas. You know, if the body is bad, then sexuality is bad. Then you should punish your body. Or or on the, the other extreme is it doesn't matter what you do to your body. You can abuse it and do what it, you know, it doesn't matter because only only the soul matters. So you can get sort of all kind of unbalanced, can't you, at, Like if you start accepting that body-soul separation idea. And all those ideas have been floating around. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. What, what a fascinating discussion, Rando. I, I really appreciate the time you've given us. So are these topics the, the ones that you explore in, in your book, I, I Have a Future? Yes. Even that difficult topic of hell mm-hmm. is there towards the end. Okay, okay. So, look, if you're listening today thinking, oh, well, this is really interesting, why didn't he uh, get to talking about hell? Well, all I can say to you is uh, check out the book. It's called I Have a Future. It's written by Rainder Brunsma, who's with us today. His surname is spelled B-R-U-I-N-S-M, the mic, A, Rainder Brunsma. Uh, check it out on on Amazon Books or or um, Google Adventist Book Centre. You'll definitely be able to find it there. Hey, thanks so much for your time this week, Rando. Really appreciate it, and uh, all the best. It was a pleasure, and I'm ready for my breakfast now. <laughs> Fantastic. Have a good one. Thank you. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media.